This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Welcome to the Mike Smith Show podcast. This is your one-stop shop for all the latest happenings in BC. From breaking news and developing stories to giving the big headlines a closer look, the Mike Smith Show is here to keep you dialed in and up to date. Let's begin. We start with the traffic chaos here we've seen over the holiday season, affecting a lot large parts of Western Canada primarily, especially Sunwing vacations. Man, people getting stuck on their down in Mexico and Cuba and elsewhere. I've got a one of the stranded passengers here standing by to tell his story. First, have a listen to this here. Now, this uh, you'll hear Matthew Hudson here from Edmonton. Listen to what happened to him. Our room that we are spending the night in tonight, which was the only room available, was uh, $1,400 U.S., um, so that's out of pocket. And uh, we've booked alternative flights home with WestJet, which leave the day after tomorrow, and that's going to cost us almost $5,000. Five, five grand to get home. After he was stranded in Mexico. Let's check in with Stuart Tash now. Stuart is from Saskatchewan. He was stranded in Mexico, too. Hey, Stuart, thanks for coming on. How are you today? I'm great, Stuart. Thank you for doing this. When did you uh, fly down to... Well, you were in Cancun, right? We were in uh, Playa, actually. And okay. uh, we left on the 17th, and we were supposed to come back on the 24th. You were supposed to come we back didn't... on the 24th. Okay, when did you get home? We actually got home on the 27th, so we were one of the lucky ones uh, as far as getting out of uh, out of Cancun was concerned. Um, and a lot of it was just uh, with a stroke of luck. I happened to befriend a fellow from um, Sunwing who um, gave me his phone number. And if I hadn't oh. had his phone number, I would have come back, um, well, probably yesterday or today. But uh, he said to give him a call. He thought our plane would go out the next night which would have been the 28th and uh he said uh i said give me your phone number and he said i can't do that but after a while we <laughs> talked and he did and uh so at at noon the next day i arranged to call him he said get in a taxi right now get to the airport we had an hour and 50 minutes it's a 35 minute uh taxi ride got there got on the plane and they sent a plane back from from cancun that was half full Oh, half full. Oh, man. All these people desperate to get home and the plane's half full. Yeah. And there were people on our flight to Regina who were from Edmonton and Calgary and all over. Not a lot of the same people that we went down with, which is what should have happened. And so here were all these individuals who were renting cars when we got into Regina in the middle of the night uh, to go to Edmonton and to go to Calgary and um, Winnipeg. Good grief. What a hassle for you. How much inconvenience did this cause you and your family? Well, you know, we missed our our Christmas here. We had a daughter coming from Winnipeg, so we missed that. Um, So, you know, some of those things you, you miss, but... Uh, we we've done a lot of traveling and you know if i if i can suggest if there are three takeaways from this whole business um yeah. i really hope that sunwing will compensate people for their losses 
And uh, as far as uh, an investigation, I think CTA should look at what happened because it was way more than the, than the, the snowstorm. And yeah. I think the third thing that people can take away is that, you know, people have to be educated that when they travel, they have to look after their own situation. And you can't leave yourself at the whim of the airline. There were people in in Cancun who were taken to hotels that didn't know that they were coming and ended up sleeping in the lobbies. So, you know, um, don't be hard on the workers because it's not the workers fault, but you have to be determined. You have to be persevering and you have to uh, befriend whoever you can possibly befriend that is going to be your ticket to get onto, uh, onto the flight. And I mean, that's true in Cancun. It's true all over the world. Stuart, I'm glad you made it home. Thanks for coming on to share the story this morning. Thanks very much, Mike. You have a happy new year. You bet. Thanks. Same to you. Stuart Tash there, stuck down in Mexico, finally got home. Let's check in with Duncan D. now, former chief operating officer at Air Canada. Very pleased to welcome him back. Duncan, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me, Mike. Hey, Duncan, we've heard a ton of these stories of people stranded down in Mexico and elsewhere, primarily Sunwing vacation travelers. What do you think of this? I think it's outrageous. I think that uh, Stuart um, made some excellent points in his intervention. Basically, uh, Sunwing, um, the excuse that this was weather um, was completely undermined by Sunwing's own decision that they're canceling flights into Saskatchewan and Manitoba uh, right up until uh, the beginning of February. So, you know, they basically acknowledged that they completely screwed up their operation. Uh, by doing that, um, they have uh, made up all sorts of excuses, tried to blame the weather, tried to escape their responsibility for compensating travelers. But, uh, you know, that's no longer on. And hopefully, hopefully uh, the CTA and the federal government um, ensures that they uh, live up to their obligations to travelers that uh, were unfortunate enough to choose them for their vacation. What a horrible 2022 we've had for Canadian airports and travel. I mean, we just saw the paralysis at YVR during the recent snowstorm. We get this mess here with Sunwing. You go back earlier in the year with the security lineups at, at airports, the, the passport office delays. I mean, my God, it was just brutal this year. Do you think it's going? these problems will continue into 2023, or do you see signs of some improvement, hopefully? Look, the thing that really worries me the most about uh, uh, looking at travel going forward, Mike, is we were told by the minister who held a so-called uh, summit on air transportation that uh, the Christmas uh, uh, travel period would be much better run. And yes, there was a large, large issue caused by uh, the weather. We saw it in YVR. We saw it in Toronto and in Montreal. So yes, weather was a big part of the disruption. But if you take a look at what happened uh, with Sunwing, you know that's got uh, elements of it that are well beyond the weather, as uh, your uh, your your uh, uh, former guest uh, uh, alluded to. So this yeah. is an issue which uh, we really need to come to terms with in Canada. There are cl- clearly systemic issues that need to be addressed. And rather than um, ignoring them, I think that uh, there needs to be some leadership on uh, trying to protect travelers in this country. All right. Talking about some of the travel chaos we saw at airports in Canada in 2022. The most recent examples here, this mess at Sunwing with a lot of people stranded on their vacays, finally straggling home to Canada here 
in the last few days. Just spoke to one of them, Stuart Tash there, who missed his Christmas at home with his family. Uh, he was stuck in, in Mexico. And by the way, for people who think like, oh, what a hardship to be stuck in Mexico. Duncan, like if, if when you're stuck in these places, I mean, you're, you're actually racking up some huge costs as well. Like people are paying a fortune for hotels and trying to find alternative flights. This has cost a lot of people a lot of money, right? Oh, this is costing people uh, thousands and thousands of dollars um, out of pocket. And, yeah. uh, you know, uh, for any listener who's been an, impacted by this, most definitely keep track of those costs. Keep your receipts because, you know, if if nothing else, Sunwing will have to at least consider reimbursing you. But I would hope that the Sunwing is forced to reimburse you for all of these out of cost, uh, out of pocket expenses. Okay, please phone me if you've had any travel problems here uh, this year. 604-280-9898. Got open phone lines. If you phone me now, you're going to get through. 604-280-9898 is the number to call. Star 9898 on your cell. When we take a look at this situation with Sunwing, Dunk, I mean, there's a lot of finger pointing going on. There's a lot of excuses being offered. But it's like Sunwing right now is saying, well, we tried to hire some temporary foreign pilots and there was a, a dispute with the union over that at Sunwing. The union is saying, don't blame us. It's not our fault. I mean, who, who do you think dealt this mess? Who, who are you blaming here? Look, the, the, the situation falls entirely at the desk of the uh, leadership at Sunwing. It's got nothing to do with uh, the union or whoever else, because the bottom line is they sold packages. They took money from travelers for uh, flights that they apparently didn't have the resources to operate. And they've acknowledged that now because they're, uh, they've cut back um, the number of flights that they're, they're operating and completely um, eliminating their flights from Saskatchewan and Manitoba until the beginning of February. So if they did not have the uh, resources to actually operate those flights, why did they sell them um, to cause tremendous inconvenience? Some of the folks from Saskatchewan and Manitoba are already at the destination. So now they're having to organize and scramble to get them back uh, to Canada when their trips are over. Um, you know, there are laws that are supposed to be in place to prevent this thing from happening. And uh, it seems to me that the, the person that's missing an action once again in this situation is the Minister of Transport. Okay, well, the Minister of Transport did put out a statement here a few days ago saying that basically wagging his finger at Sunwing, saying this is unacceptable, and he expects them to make it better, and he expects them to perform their, their performance to improve. Not good enough? Uh, far from being good enough, Mike. Um, you know, I was uh, in the U.S. visiting my kids in Boston when Southwest Airlines had their meltdown oh. because of the weather in the immediate aftermath of um the 23rd, 24th of December, the Secretary of Transportation of the United States, Pete Buttigieg, was on virtually every uh, national uh, news program reassuring travelers that he had their backs. Um, and he worked very closely with the CEO of Southwest. And so there is now, in fact, a portal on the web for Southwest travelers who are impacted to electronically submit the receipts for the costs that they incurred. And Southwest has made a commitment to reimburse all reasonable uh, costs. And that's something that, you know, Sunwing still hasn't even come to terms with. So that's, you know, the leadership is really missing. Uh, you know, the weather didn't just impact Canada, the weather impacted Canada and the United States. Many airlines scrambled to get things back on track. A few airlines didn't uh, do as good a job. And, you know, in the case of the US, the one airline that didn't do as good a job was Southwest. 
but you know they were they were back on track as of last Thursday and Friday, and they have a, a process in place for travelers to submit uh, their costs, so their expenses. So you know this is something which Canadians really need to keep a close eye on going into 2023. Speaking of Duncan D, former Chief Operating Officer, Air Canada, you mentioned that for people who get stuck in, in these type of travel nightmares, hang on to your receipts, try and get all your money paid back. What about travel insurance? Like if people had full travel insurance before something like this walloped them, they'd be covered, I imagine, would they? Or typically would insurance cover something like this? Yeah, it depends on the type of insurance that you purchase, Mike. But yes, um, you know, travel insurance is a good decision to, uh, uh, to make, um, you know, obviously in advance of your trip, you can't uh, buy it after after the fact. And um, in many cases, uh, situations like this are in fact covered. It, it's in, included in uh, delayed and uh, canceled um, uh, trips. And so, you know, travelers have to take a, uh, have a very serious look at that, especially when they're traveling during the peak travel periods, like uh, we were in in December. Things have quietened down now, but. You know, the travel period at Christmas time starts at around uh, the 15th of December and goes up until the 2nd of January, which is today. And so anyone traveling during that period should really seriously look at uh, travel insurance. And, you know, in many cases, actually, their credit cards, the credit cards that they use to uh, pay for these packages, um, in fact, include some form of travel insurance. So they should also look into that. Yeah, I just we got about, about a minute left here, Duncan. When when you talk about this going forward, Sunwing had been talking about the shortage of pilots. They were trying to get some temporary foreign pilots in the air for them. There was a fight with the union over that. We touched on that briefly. Is there a pilot shortage in Canada? Look, there there is um, a pressure on the number of pilots. Is there a shortage? It's you know it's not very apparent as it is in the U.S. where they have a serious shortage. Um, and uh, so you know that what Sunwing was trying to do was pull a fast one. They should not be using foreign pilots. Uh, to operate a schedule out of Canada. Very few countries allow that to, to even happen. And so, you know, that's not something that uh, should be happening to the degree that it was supposed to be uh, planned by uh, by Sunwing um, in terms of their winter schedule. Duncan, thank you for coming on today. Thanks, Mike. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. All right, welcome back to the show. Let's talk about the deadly Christmas Eve bus crash that claimed four lives here in British Columbia. The bus was operated by an Alberta company, E-Bus. It was traveling from Kelowna towards Merritt. And when it went off the road, crossed the median, flipped onto its side. Four people died in this terrible accident. Dozens of other people were injured. The bus was equipped with seat belts. Unfortunately, it appears most of the people on the bus were not wearing the seat belts. Got Grant Gottkatru standing by to discuss. Have a listen to RCMP constable here, James Ward, talking about the difficulty to enforce seat belt rules on a bus. Listen to this. According to the RCMP, the bus was equipped with seat belts. 
but almost none of the passengers were wearing them. The onus is really on the passenger to ensure that if your seat is equipped with a seatbelt, that you are wearing it when the bus is in motion. Despite the law on the books, it is hard to enforce. If we pull this bus over and go onto the bus, if people are not wearing their seatbelt at that moment, it's no longer an offense because the bus is not in motion. Okay, the investigation underway into this deadly accident. Let's discuss it now with my guest, Grant Gottgetrue. Grant is a former traffic police officer. He's now a forensic consultant, ForensicTrafficPro.com. Grant, thank you for coming on today. Always a pleasure, Mike. Hey, Grant, this is a, a sad story to discuss here right off the bat in the new year. Four people lost their lives in this bus accident. The investigation underway. What do you think will be the most important points that investigators will be looking at here? Cause, definitely cause, and then whether or not there's any uh, um, criminal liability. I mean, there's going to be civil coming out of this. There's going to be lawsuits left, right, and center. You can be guaranteed of that. Um, but they're going to be looking for cause and if there's any uh, criminal element for charges. The mayor of Merritt here is wondering why this uh, Okanagan connector, also known as Highway 97C, wondering why, why it was still open because of the icy conditions. Do you think he has a point there? They generally don't close that highway down or the Coquihalla unless there's a significant collision that causes the highway to be closed in both directions or blocks the lanes. Um, it, it's rarely closed for extreme weather conditions. Um, there's warning signs and whatnot, but because you're, you're kind of limited when you live in the interior, uh, what route you got to travel, right? And Coquihalla 97C is a, is a major artery. So uh, there has to be significant cause to shut it down. Yeah. Um, so under, under normal circumstances, unless there's a, a collision that blocks all the lanes, they rarely close it down. What do you think generally about the, the standard of, snow and ice removal on bc highways we've talked a lot about this over over the recent snowstorm late in the last year about the, the paralysis we saw in parts of metro vancouver with some of the storm and there were lots of complaints about snow removal ice removal maintenance of our roads and highways in bc do you think we're up to scratch here certainly in the interior it's got to be better in the lower mainland isn't it uh, well, I've lived in the interior for a couple of years, and, and the the uh, removal up here is outstanding, obviously, because there's a lot of snow. Uh, living on the lower mainland for, you know, 46 years, um, we don't get a lot of snow on the coast. But when we do, it's a big dump, and there's always a warning in advance, right? It's like, oh, there's a heavy snowfall warning tonight. Yeah. And then invariably in the morning when you wake up in, in Vancouver or, or wherever in the lower mainland, it's like, well, it's been snowing all night. There's four inches out there. And where are the trucks? They've had warnings. So anyone who lives in the lower mainland knows exactly what happened. So, it, you know, every winter it's the same thing. It's, it's, it's Armageddon on the lower mainland because it's just like they get the warnings. Yeah. The weather, you know, the weather forecast, heavy warnfall, and, and, and they, just, they just wait too long. And that's why it's Armageddon. <laughs> on the coast up here uh no they do a really good job the biggest problem on places like the Coquihalla and the 97c is the buildup of ice yeah right and, and that and that's the problem it doesn't matter what you're driving you hit all that ice and it's usually about four or five inches thick you're going to be slipping and sliding all over the road what so. do you think about the we heard in the clip we played from the that rcmp officer there about 
the seatbelts. There were this bus was equipped with seatbelts. Most people not wearing them. I don't. I'm not surprised at all. Most people are not wearing the seatbelt. What do you think about that? Should people buckle up when they're on a bus? Well, I don't see why they wouldn't. Yeah. The you know, laws of physics in a crash don't change just because you're on a bus. You know, yeah. and, and, and and now you're getting projectiled all over the bus or through the window. And and but he did have a point. It's difficult to enforce because you can't see what people are doing if they're wearing their seatbelts when they ride by. So he's he's right. It's it's impossible to enforce unless you see people standing and walking around while the while the bus is in motion. Um, but where what the people who don't understand when they don't wear their seatbelts, if they if they get into a collision on the bus and they're they get severely injured, well, the amount of money they might get as compensation is going to be significantly decreased because by their own negligence they didn't wear their seatbelts. Speaking of Grant Gottgetrue, Grant is a former traffic police officer. He's now a forensic consultant on traffic violations, talking about the deadly New Year's Eve, Christmas Eve bus crash in BC. Do you think bus drivers need to be better trained? Well, it's funny. I've always maintained in in British Columbia, I've always found that it's far too easy to get a driver's license. Hmm. I don't think the standards compared to other places in the world are are very high. Uh, So, um, and a lot of times, of course, because I travel to and from the coast so much since I've moved up here, um, I find a lot of the professional drivers um, are very good, but then there's a, a good a good amount that are like, what the heck are you guys doing? I had one almost throw me off the road because he just decided he wanted my lane. I'm right there. Yeah. <laughs> I, had to, I had to dynamite my brakes and jump onto the shoulder or he would have squished me. What do you so think there's is always it, room for improvement. You touched on... Uh, this tragic accident happened on Highway 97C. We touched on the, the Coquihalla. For, from your perspective, what is the most hazardous or dangerous highway in, in British Columbia? Is there, any, is there any that leap to mind for you? Oh, I think the, the one that leaps to my mind is the Highway 1 out through Golden. seems to be, I mean, I think they're finally getting around to redesigning that, but that seemed to be the one that would have... Uh, anytime you had a collision out there, it was almost guaranteed to be a fatal, and it was horrific. Or you get, you know, two transport trucks head on in a in a tunnel out there. So that's a pretty treacherous one. Uh, I do believe the ministry is finally getting around to fixing that one. But uh, it, the the most treacherous highways are going to be the ones that have the highest speeds, the highest speed limits. <clears throat> that's why generally when there's collisions on the connector in the Coquihalla. Uh, they're more often uh, serious injury or fatal. But, Grant, uh, thank you for thank you for your time today. Happy New Year to you. I look forward to talking to you again this year. Thanks for coming on. Absolutely, my pleasure. Happy New Year. Thanks, you Mike. Thank you, Grant. Got good true there. He's a former traffic police officer. I always appreciate his time. Okay, talking about BC's most dangerous highways here, the investigation underway into the deadly Christmas Eve bus crash. Lots of calls coming in. Let's check in with Dan Dickey. Dan is a professional truck driver, BC Trucker One on Twitter. He is an advocate for safer roads. Hey, Dan. Good morning, Mike. Thanks a lot for thanks a lot for coming on. Same to you, Dan. What would you say are the most treacherous highways in BC in your mind? Uh, the Coquihalla is a pretty good one. Any of yeah. the any of the directions of it over the connector or straight up through Kamloops, um, you know, that stretch in between Merritt and uh, 
Spencer's Bridge on Highway 8. Highway 99 is a pretty treacherous road. What do you think of 27C there and the, and the mayor of Merritt wondering whether it should have been shut down there on Christmas Eve when this crash happened? Well, I, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of things to factor in other than just road conditions, right? It's not, yeah. you know, there's, there's a lot of stuff that, that goes into the, the mentality and the, and the speed at which drivers travel, right? Yeah, do you think do you think truck drivers are adequately trained in BC, or do you think they need better or more training? I think what happens in a lot of situations is is drivers that are coming in as you know, lack of a better term, foreign workers are not properly trained. They they get their their certifications in other jurisdictions and they're brought into British Columbia hmm. and kind of thrown to the wolves, right? Okay, interesting. 604-280-9898 is the number. Let's take some phone calls here. John and Kamloops. Hey, John, go ahead. Hey there. How are you doing today? I'm good. Go ahead. Good, good. Hey, uh, regarding the last couple, the last guy you had on there about the, the traffic expert there, like there's never four or five inches of ice on those highways. I travel Kamloops to Merritt every day, and I travel the 97C and the, and the Kogala down to Hope quite often, and there's never those type of levels there's some but i mean that's a typical winter condition the problem is that people drive too fast for the conditions and they're unprepared and uh, that seems to be the fact and everything if there's 150 60 cars piled up in one spot you can start blaming it on road conditions but that's yeah. never the case it's usually one or two that cause it and then uh and then that's it because we get thousands of cars that drive through those corridors every day un- un- unscathed right so we yeah. start taking some personal responsibility Right, so you don't think that, like the mayor was saying, why didn't they shut that 97C down on Christmas Eve? You, don't, you think that would have been going too far? Way too far. There's, there's, yeah. no, there's no way that we can shut down those highways because of that, and when there's thousands yeah. of people that still make it through safely. Thank, thank you for the call, John. Vicky in Pitt Meadows. Hi, Vicky. Hi, how are you? I'm good. Go ahead, Vicky. So um, my mother and I actually took the e-bus on Christmas Eve, uh, the morning of Christmas Eve from Abbotsford Airport to Kelowna. Wow. Um, getting out of the lower mainland was treacherous because we had had that ice storm the night before. Um, we got to Merritt. The dri- we were four hours behind schedule because our driver was so careful, drove so slowly. We got to Merritt. Another driver got on. Mm. and then continued um, to Kelowna and onward. At that point, the connector was getting really bad. Um, We finally got into Kelowna five hours late because, again, I cannot fault those two drivers that drove us on the e-bus. But um, it was pretty scary. Now, the other thing, Mike, is... When we got on in Abbotsford, we were told to put our seatbelts on, and we did. When we got off in Merritt for a stop, um, you know, just a little washroom break, we didn't put our seatbelts back on, and I have no idea why. We just didn't. And I think if people had had their seatbelts on, I think that less people would have been injured. Oh, so tragic what happened. So this this, this, this is the same bus that crashed, right? The bus, no, no. our bus okay, okay. didn't turn around and go back. Um, okay. Our bus continued on to Salmon Arm, but another bus would have left Kelowna at roughly the time that we arrived in Kelowna. 
I coming see. back from Kelowna when we headed back um, on Boxing Day, um, they got on the bus again and they told everybody, it is law that you have to have your seatbelt on. Um, but, again, but then it sounds I, like they don't, inf- they don't enforce it, though, it sounds like. I'm not sure how they could, Mike. I mean, unless yeah. they had an employee like a, a airline uh, attendant, flight attendant walking up and down the bus aisles. I don't know how a bus driver could enforce that. Um, But like I say, I I hope that everybody doesn't start blaming the drivers because I can't fault our drivers. You know, we got in almost five hours late and we were all like, oh, my God, five hours late. But when you look at what happened to those other people that lost their lives, five hours late is nothing. Yeah, for sure. Vicky, thank you for calling in and sharing that. Dan, what do you think of the seatbelt issue on, on buses? I think they should be worn. I wear mine, when, like, uh, there's a lot of times where I have to take a bus from when, where my truck gets repaired to where, to home or to to get another truck. And, yeah, I, I'll put my seatbelt on if there's one available in the bus. But there's a, there's a lot of other things, like like the, the previous lady mentioned that they switch drivers in merit, like, there's a reason they switched drivers in merit because at that time they probably realized that the driver that had been taken, generally it's a five and a half hour, six hour, five hour trip from say Vancouver to Kelowna. Well, the driver's got a 13 hour driving window or 16 hour window in which he can drive 13 hours. Right. Mm -hmm. So if it's a guy that's on the second half of his shift, he's going to not be able to be as conscientious as he might have been on his way out yeah. because of the time restrictions that are placed upon him by federal and, and provincial regulations in the hours of service, right? With, with companies that are more, more interested in being compliant in general than, than, than the safety aspect of, of, the, of the job. Ryan, thank you for your thoughts and analysis on it today. Stay safe out there behind the wheel. Appreciate your time. Thanks. All right, welcome back. Let's talk about the technological revolution in academic cheating. Forget about cheat sheets. Forget about copying the test answers from your neighbor. Forget about paying somebody to write your final course essay. That is old school. When it comes to cheating at school now, there is an app for that. Chat GPT. This is the app everyone's talking about. This is an artificial intelligence app that can automatically write school essays. Got Sarah Eaton standing by to discuss. First, have a listen to this report from CNN. Educators across the country are raising the alarm over a new technology that is making it easier to cheat. It's called ChatGPT. It's a chatbot that runs on artificial intelligence and it can do pretty much anything you tell it to do from solving a complex math problem to writing essays on nearly any topic. It's really a new form of an old problem where students would pay somebody or get somebody to write their paper for them, say an essay form or a friend who's taken a course before. This is like that, only it's instantaneous and free. Okay, instantaneous and free. I'm just taking a look at the App Store description of this app, and it says this will help you with your writing. It will suggest ideas and topics for you. 
Just start the app and watch the magic happen as text is generated for you. Let's discuss with Sarah Eaton now, one of Canada's leading experts on academic integrity at the University of Calgary. Very pleased to welcome Sarah back to the show. Sarah, thank you very much for coming on today. Yeah, thanks for the invite. Okay, I think the last time we talked, we were talking about people who might go online and pay someone to write a custom essay for them, but man, oh man, now we've got this artificial intelligence that can just write an essay for you at the the click of a mouse here, right? Like, what do you think of this app? Mm-hmm. Well, there's various apps out there. They are free. Uh, I've tested some of them myself, and it's super easy to use them. You put in a prompt, like, write me a 500-word essay on COVID-19, and it does. Um, some apps can do it with references, create a bibliography for you, um, and and basically it, it does the writing. Some apps will even let you pick the tone. Do you want an informal tone, conversational tone, a formal tone, academic tone? And it will write according to the exact specifications that you input. Oh my goodness. So, and I've heard from some teachers who are quite alarmed by this because they say the the product that comes out, the essay that's written by these apps are actually pretty good. Yes, uh, as far as I know, there's no current technology to accurately detect text that's been written by ChatGPT, GPT-3, or any of the other large language models, they call them artificial intelligence. Um, there, there are sort of emerging technologies, but we're kind of in a technology arms race when it comes to academic integrity, and that's never something that I think educators can win. Right. So it's, I'm very interested to know how a little bit more about how these apps work. Like you mentioned that you've you've tried a couple of them. So when you let's say you're you're assigned to write an essay at school, you can just type in the like a few words of the subject line and it will generate an essay or do you have to put in more information than that? There's different apps out there, so they do different things. I've seen apps that will write a paragraph, that will write an essay for graduate students that will help them create a research question, um, that will generate a literature review. Um, And they're getting more and more advanced, not even by the month, but by the week. Every single week that I check on social media or check the news, these technologies are advancing faster than than we can keep up with. We we have a research project to study this at the University of Calgary. And we designed our research project last semester. And our research design is out of date already. (laughs) Every, Every week, this is the rate at which this is advancing is mind-boggling. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, like you said, it's like a technological arms race here to try and stay on top of it. I'm taking a look at the App Store right now, and I'm reading the description of this particular app uh, that we're discussing, and it says, the app, it helps you with your writing. (laughs) It says, (laughs) it, it helps you with your writing. It will suggest ideas and topics for you. If you're stuck on a homework assignment or you need a little extra help getting your thoughts down on paper, this is the app for you. This Mm -hmm. is the the chat GPT app. Well, it can do a lot more than just give you some idea. It can write the whole darn essay for you, right? You bet. Yeah. (laughs) And I've I've seen various um, apps on different websites and it will generate for you like a draft and you can go in and modify it um, and it will give you synonyms for words so that the text can't be picked up by programs like Turnitin, which are um, supposed to match text. Some people call them plagiarism detection software. That's not entirely accurate, but that they're designed to create something original that can't be picked up by existing technologies. 
Oh, my goodness. Speaking to Sarah Eaton, academic integrity expert, University of Calgary. So how big of a, a problem is this? Like, I've, I've heard from some teachers who are quite worried about this, that this type of cheating, and I guess that's what it is, this is cheating, right? Like, and it's difficult to detect. Um, well, this is part of the problem. I'm not sure it is cheating. Because cheating okay. is usually defined by like institutional policies. They would have this is the definition of plagiarism. This is the definition of contract cheating. This is a definition of exam cheating. We don't have definitions for this. This is too new. This is mm. not even covered in any of our academic integrity policies. And this is like one of the most polarizing debates that I see right now is that some people say it's cheating. Other people say it's super exciting and, and let's have at it. Um, and we are like, we've got factions of educators now at one side of the spectrum or the other who just can't agree if this is actually cheating or not, because it's actually changing the definitions of what does it mean to cheat? I mean, look at this. I mean, we we don't ask students to check with us before they use a dictionary. So why would they check with us before they use an AI tool that helps them write? And some of this technology is becoming so embedded into programs like Word that it's it's invisible. Like it's mm. a, it's a right now it's a separate app. But I mean, companies that have word processing programs and like Google Docs, they're incorporating this into their programs soon. It's going to become so much part of everyday life and every kind of writing that we do. You won't need a separate app for it. Yeah, no, it's very interesting what you just described there, because it sounds like some a lot of people would argue, well, this is just another tool. It's a better tool that has evolved through technological change, and it's certainly a very powerful tool, but it's a tool that, that helps you, right? Like, do you find that, how are most institutions dealing with this? Like universities and, and colleges in Canada, are, are, is, are these type of apps banned or are students allowed to use them? Uh, we don't have any consistency as far as I know. I mean, I've, I've got my finger on the pulse of this because, like I said, we've got this research project. We're in touch with researchers across Canada about this. As far as I know, nobody has any hard and fast rules around this. Some profs I know in university are already incorporating this into their teaching and showing students how to use it because one approach to this is, well, this is the way of the future. And if we want to graduate students who are ready for the workforce, these tools are already available to them in the workforce, right? We know we know mainstream media companies like the Washington Post, New York Times have been using similar technologies since about 2017. So industry is already using these apps and that's not considered misconduct, that's considered good business. So right. why wouldn't we teach students how to use these tools if they're gonna need them when they go into the workforce? Okay, well, I think those are fascinating points. Do you think that at the end of the day though that we're, we may be letting students down. If we say to students, it's okay to use this type of AI technology, it's okay to use these essay writing apps, go ahead and do it. Do students miss out on learning how to write properly themselves? It's a good question. Right now, we don't have any answers. What I can say is, I mean, the human imagination isn't going anywhere. Human creativity isn't going anywhere. Like imagine, imagine your favorite author, and instead of writing a book every three years, they can now write three books in a year because okay. they've used artificial intelligence. I think this is going to accelerate writing and creativity, but what I think is also going to be a challenge is teachers who are ill-prepared, they don't know what to do with it, they're unfamiliar with it, and anything new is kind of a threat. 
there are ways that this can be used for cheating. There's no question. There's also ways it can be used ethically. And that's the murky waters that we're trying to tread water in right now is that we don't have the answers. Yeah. And do you think that like it's really interesting work you're doing there at the University of Calgary? Do you think that academic institutions, universities, colleges will have, will be re- basically forced to come up with some sort of policies on these apps? Oh, yeah, sooner rather than later. I mean, when we put in our um, application for a research project last year, we got questions about, do you really think artificial intelligence is going to be on the horizon anytime soon? Is this science fiction? Those were questions we got. That was a year ago. And now look where we are. I can't even imagine what this is going to look like a year from now. Sarah, it's always great to have you on here with your thoughts. Thank you for coming on today. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to the Mike Smith Show podcast. Can't wait for the latest episode to drop. Tune into the show live from 9 to noon on 980 CKNW. Want to reach out to me personally with a question or comment? Send me an email, mike at cknw.com. Thanks again for listening.